How many of you are hungry already? Oh boy. I hope you can feast on the Word of God because it's only going to get for a little while. So, uh, Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. I want to call your attention today to the 15th verse in Matthew 7 and a few verses following. And we're continuing this last section of this great sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we're now at the close of the sermon. You'll notice there are several verses to go until we get to the end of the chapter. But all the rest of the verses concern this one theme. And this is the warning that there is only one way to heaven. There is only one way you can go, and you have to go God's way. Now, I'd like for us to stand for the reading of these verses, if you would, please. And here we find a warning about those who would hinder us from finding and entering into the one true way of eternal life. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much to be in your presence today, looking into your word. Lord, I ask that you would bless the message, open the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have to admit to you that in studying these last few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, I felt this overwhelming inadequacy for this task. There are so many profound things that are said here and such great truths that are expressed by our Lord that it's actually going to take multiple sermons for me to get through this. I believe this is one of the most important sections that we have in the Word of God. And we do have to look at this very carefully. And as we look at this, there are going to be someone who say that what you're preaching is far too negative. What you're saying is harmful to the cohesiveness of Christianity, and we have to be very careful that we don't divide Christians, and we need to work with all others in a sense of unity, so be very careful how you speak about what others believe. And I'm aware, before I ever start this, it's going to take five weeks, at least right now, that's what I planned, five weeks to get through it, and I know it's going to be uncomfortable for some people, Uh, They don't like the exclusivity of a church that appears to be pointing fingers at everybody else as if we're right on everything and everybody else is, is wrong and other viewpoints that people have aren't equally valid. And yet as I look at verses 13 and 14 that we studied last week, I find here that this is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. There is truth And it's very narrow truth. The way to heaven is a very restricted way. The gate gate is straight. The Bible says here, and as we looked at that word last week, that word straight means that it's difficult, it's confined, it is restricted. It's a path and a narrow path, and there is no room for the inclusiveness of multiple views of doctrine. Now today we live in a world of pluralism which says there is more than one way. There are many paths to God. 
But as we've already learned from our master teacher, the way to heaven is exclusive. And we're warned that we must enter the straight gate. And we're told that there is a way that seems right to man, but that way is wrong. It's a way of destruction. And so beginning in verse number 13 that we started last week, there's a series of teachings that all that have one thing in common, and that is this. If you are not careful, you will miss the right way to heaven. And along this way, there are people that will try to fool you. There are many that are standing uh, at gates at the, with the guise of Christianity, trying to direct you to the broad path and to the broad way, and they're telling you this is the way that you should go. And while they pretend that they're showing you the same path as Jesus, they are actually false prophets. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're there to deceive, and you have to be very careful or you'll fall prey to them. In verse number 21, we'll get into this a little bit later on, uh, the teaching is that some have actually fallen victim. And when they come to the time of judgment, they'll think that they're okay. They'll even argue that they're okay. But they're on the wrong path, and their works are not God's works, and so therefore they're doomed to hell. And in verse 25, it's further emphasized that there are some that will build their faith on a foundation of shifting sands. They will listen to lies and suppositions and truths that they think somebody's told them or what they think is truth. And then their foundation of faith is going to be swept away. And that's because it was not built upon the only foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ alone. And that shows us that the doctrines that the, the Bible teaches are a straight way. It's a straight gate. It's a narrow way. It's restricted. You must come by Christ alone. And so all of these teachings from verse number 13 down to the end of the chapter or to verse 27, the end of the sermon, are warnings about missing this narrow gate. And we have encouragement by Jesus to respond to this sermon. Just as we exhort sinners to repent and come to Christ, this is what Jesus is telling these people. You must repent and you must come the only way that there is to come, and that's through faith in him. So you can't bring your works, you can't bring your opinions. The way to Christ is a way of self-denial. It's admission that you have sinned, and the word of God says you must repent of those sins. Now, the devil knows that there's a choice to be made, and so he knows that people need to be decisive about this, and what he wants you to do is to make the wrong choice. And so he marks this broad gate heaven. Just like Jesus marks the narrow way heaven, Satan has his prophets that are standing out there saying, this is the way to heaven, when the true preachers of God are preaching a narrow way and saying this is the way to go. And so thus we come to verse number 15, which is a warning about false prophets. And there is no reason to warn if they don't exist. They do exist. They're as real as real can be. And the truth is, there are not a few of them. There are many of them. The truth is, you don't have to search hard to find them because they're everywhere. And the truth is that the vast variety of denominational churches and interdenominational churches are filled with these false prophets and proponents of the broad way. Now, we're going to get into this. We're going to learn about it. And just the fact that there are precious few in the pulpits of churches today that will say what I'm going to say, who will sound an alarm... And make you understand the danger that we face. Just the fact that there's few people that are preaching this shows you that the false prophets are everywhere. The wolves are lurking. They're out there roaming the sheepfolds. 
And I know it because there are people who will say after they hear these messages, they will say, you're divisive. And there's some who are wondering, why don't we join in with all the social agendas that are going on in the churches today? And there's some that are shocked when they find out that we don't follow a generic Christian model of a path of ease and a path of of less resistance. And they wonder, why don't you just float down the stream with us? Why don't you just go our way? We don't because we know where the stream is headed. There's a thousand foot waterfall at the end, and it plunges into the abyss of hell. Well, I guess maybe I should say some wish it was a waterfall because there's no water there. But it, a plunge, it plunges into the abyss. So we're going to talk about this. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Now the interesting thing about this is that Jesus did not begin the sermon this way. He didn't say there's a lot of false prophets out there. Instead, he, he, di- he didn't do that. He waited until the end of the sermon. It's not in the middle, it's at the end. You know why? Because first of all, he had to correct their wrong thinking. He had to get the doctrine right. He had to corrupt their, or correct their wrong practices. He had to correct their wrong way. They had to get them to focus on the right way. And if you heed all the things that have been said in the sermon previous to this, that's when you're ready to take on a false prophet. Now, if you've missed the right doctrine, if you've missed the right practice, you missed the right way, the false prophet is there to pounce on you, to devour you, and to destroy you. Now, another thing I want to tell you about the exposition of these particular verses is that I'm not trying a new way. I'm not going to try to come up with some clever way to preach this and try to soften the blow a little bit for everybody. Uh, There are many good preachers that have taught on these truths before, so I'm not looking for a new novel approach. I've noticed that in reading expositors and commentaries that almost all of them take a common course through these verses, the good ones at least, and so we're not going to deviate from that. I might say things a little bit differently, and the ma- but the major points are the same. And that's because the times may have changed, but the Word of God never changes. The truth is still the truth. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day about teaching the Bible and about preachers, and we were discussing how that every person needs to be a Berean. I mean that in two ways. I think all of you need to be Bereans. You need to be a part of this church. But I'll say that the Bible teaches, when, when it's talking about a Berean, it's somebody who searches the Scriptures. You don't depend upon my exposition. Don't depend upon my study to do it for you. You go to the Bible, you search the Scriptures, scripture and see if what's said is not the truth. And so, read the Bible. Find out for yourself what it says about this. So we're not going to delay any further. We're getting late here. Bereans are going to appreciate what I have to say. And you'll get this. And others will be angry. And before the multiple parts of the sermon are over, uh, they're going to go away very, very unhappy. But I have five major points that I want to speak to you about over the next five weeks. We're going to get the first one today. And the first one is that a false prophet is dangerous. A false prophet is dangerous. Now before we go through, we need to define the term, what is a prophet? What does the Bible mean by a prophet? Well, usually when we think of a prophet, we relate it to future events. Uh, A prophet can be as diverse as someone who reads the Bible and tries to figure out things and try to figure out when things will happen. Uh, A prophet may be someone, in some people's thinking, somebody who reads horoscopes or uses tarot cards and reads palms. That's a prophet. Sometimes people believe that there are those that have extraordinary insight into certain things. They can use paranormal powers to predict. So you have psychics like Edgar Cayce. 
Edgar Casey died in 1945, but there are still people that read, many, many people that read his books on paranormal activity, and they believe that some of those, or many of the weird predictions, or perhaps all of them are actually going to come true. Nostradamus was a prophet that lived in the 16th century, and today there are still people, 500 years later, trying to figure out what Nostradamus, Nostradamus was speaking about, and they call him a prophet. Well, those are false prophets, that to, that's to be sure. But that's not who Jesus is talking about here. Not those kinds of prophets. Those people are tools of the devil, and I have no doubt about that. We're not talking about palm readers and witches and warlocks. If we were talking about that, most of you would discuss, uh, d- dismiss all that very easily. Uh, that wouldn't be a problem for you. What we're talking about here is something that's v- much more subtle. This is something much more dangerous Because these are fake, user-friendly people and preachers in Christian churches. And Jesus says, beware, beware of false prophets. So what is a prophet? Let me give you a basic definition of a prophet. A prophet is one who claims to speak for God. And that's what a prophet does. He claims to speak for God. Now keep that definition in mind as we go through these sermons. A prophet always says, I am speaking for God. Now if he came and he said, I'm speaking for Satan, if he was telling the truth of things, if he said, I'm speaking for Satan, you wouldn't listen to him. But he says, I'm speaking for God. And that's one of the things that makes him so dangerous. Now, we're going to look at Old Testament prophets first, what was going on there. And in the Old Testament, many, many times when you're talking about prophets, you are speaking about someone who foretold the future. So likewise, in the Old Testament, the prophets claimed that they were speaking for God. They had a message. They had a message many times that was about the future. And the Old Testament prophets were always telling people what God was going to do, especially if they didn't straighten up and follow the way that they should go. God sent prophets to Israel when they were in sin, and the prophets warned the people what God would do. The prophets told them about idolatry, and he said, the prophet said, God is going to destroy this nation because of it. And so they spoke to the kings and told them many years before it actually happened what God was going to do. They predicted the fall of Israel and of Judah and how they would be taken into captivity. And those prophecies came true. And there were often people who didn't like the word of the prophets. And so what they would do, they would go out and they would seek another prophet. And they would find someone who told them what they wanted to hear. And Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, warned that Israel would be taken captive by, uh, by the Babylonians. They hated the prophecy. And so they sought prophets that would give them good news rather than the gloom and doom that Jeremiah was preaching. Jeremiah 5, verse 31, it says, The prophets falsely uh, prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And so the prophets told them lies, and that made the people feel better. And they loved that. They loved to hear what false prophets had to say. Now, there's an interesting story in Second Chronicles chapter 18 about King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Throughout the history... After the kingdoms divided, uh, Israel and Judah were most of the time at odds with one another. They couldn't get along. And it just so happens that King Ahab's daughter married King Jehoshaphat's son. And so they figured, well, we, we need to make an alliance. And so Ahab went to Jehoshaphat and he said, I need you to join me. Let's go and let's fight against the Syrians. 
Now, Jehoshaphat said, well, that's a pretty good idea. Why don't we do that? But he only had one stipulation. He said, let's go ask the prophets and let's see what they have to say about it. Are we going to be prosperous or are we not? So Ahab went and he found 400 prophets. 400 of his own prophets, and he brought them together and inquired of them and asked them, are we going to be successful in our fight? And those prophets said, yes, go on. God will deliver them into your hands. Well, Jehoshaphat wasn't too convinced of that. He didn't like uh, Ahab's prophets too much. He didn't think they were really in touch with God. And so he said, isn't there some other prophet that we can ask? Isn't there one of the Lord's prophets around? Well, it turned out there was. Only Ahab didn't like this prophet. This prophet's name was Micaiah. And Micaiah was always prophesying bad things to Ahab. And every time he asked him, he had something bad to say. So when Ahab went to talk with him, Micaiah had been through this many times before with Ahab. And so he just kind of mockingly replied to Ahab. And he said, go ahead, Ahab. Go ahead, go fight. You're going to win. Well, Ahab knew that was too good to be true because Micaiah never prophesied anything good for him. So he said, Micaiah, you better tell me the truth about this. And so Micaiah said, Ahab, if you go to battle, you're going to die in the battle. But Ahab rejected that prophecy. Instead, he followed after 400 prophets who told him something different. D.L. Moody said, Ahab had his preachers and prophets. No man is so corrupt, but he will find someone who preaches to suit him. And so there you go. There are people who like the broad path so much that they seek for a false prophet. They're looking for a lying tongue. They're looking for a preacher that will soothe them in their sins and tell them, it's okay, do what you're doing, this is the way to go. And that's dangerous because that prophet claims to speak for God and God knows nothing about him. Now I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy means the second law. And what it is is actually a repetition of the laws that God had given. And very early on when God gave Moses the law, he gave warnings about false prophets. And because people didn't listen to the warnings and didn't believe that the prophets were telling lies, they had this problem of idolatry all throughout their history. Now if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse number 1, I want you to notice something very striking in the warning that Moses gives. He says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we'll stop there for just a moment. Do you see this? There's a prophet who comes, a false prophet. He may claim, he does claim to speak for God. And look, he does signs and wonders. He does things that prove his authenticity. He might actually do a miracle right in front of your eyes. That actually happened when... Moses appeared before Pharaoh. You remember how the magicians of Egypt mimicked the, the, the miracles that Moses did, those first ones? And Pharaoh's heart was hardened because he believed the false prophets rather than he believed Moses. And today you'll find that there are preachers that claim to do miracles. And I don't know that you discount all of them. Because Satan is powerful. Satan is a powerful being. He does some pretty awful stuff. 
Now, sometimes people come and they ask me about tongues. And they say, oh, there's documented cases where someone knew a foreign language and they never knew it before. And they spoke in this language and someone came and interpreted for them. Could that happen? Well, I don't know that you discount it all. The, de- the devil does some, some powerful stuff. But the question is, what is the purpose of it? And does it match the word of God? Moses said there are people that will come and they can perform miracles and they say that they speak for God. But it says in verse number 3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet. In this case, these prophets would lead Israel astray from the truth and things that God had already spoken and they would lead the people into idolatry. So what do you do about the miracles? What about all those things that they could do? What do you do about that? He says don't believe them. Don't even believe that they bring a miracle. Because what God is doing, he's testing you to see if you're going to stick with him. Are you going to listen to what God already directly told you? Or are you going to listen to some idea that somebody else says? The Apostle Paul warns about it as well in the book of Galatians. He says, even an angel comes to you. And he preached something different than we preach. Don't you believe him? Verse number 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Now false prophets are dangerous because they might even be able to do a miracle. But the question is, do you believe the miracle or do you stick with what God says? God has already directly spoken to you in his word, so we don't need tongues and prophecies today. We don't need new revelation because everything that we need to know has already been written out. The Bible is the inspired word of God, the plenary inspired word of God. That means it's full and complete. We don't listen to a false prophet. They shouldn't be believed even if they can do miracles. So in the Old Testament, you have prophets that foretold the future. They claim to speak for God. And often what God says is not pleasant. When you get hit over the head with sin, it's not pleasant. And so people love the broad path that goes to destruction And so they'll seek out someone on that broad path that says, you're okay. If it feels good, do it. Satisfy yourself and everything will be all right. Now what about the New Testament? Does Jesus limit this to people that are just telling the future? Now the prophets in the Old Testament often had the future in mind and they were preaching and what they got, the true ones, were real revelation from God. Uh, They spoke about Jesus hundreds of years before he came. Remember that uh, Isaiah and and Daniel and and, and Ezekiel and others told about Jesus hundreds of years before he came. The, the, The prophet Daniel gave the exact year that Jesus was going to come, 400 years before he actually came. In the future, he got it down to the exact year. And yet there are other prophecies that are in the book of Daniel. And Daniel's lived 2,500 years ago. Some of his prophecies haven't even happened yet. They could happen today or tomorrow. So we come to the New Testament, and it also speaks about prophets. Only the New Testament is primarily speaking of prophets in the church. And they aren't necessarily talking about future events, but they're speaking of what God has already said. 
And so a prophet tells you, just like in the Old Testament, claiming to speak for God, but he tells you what God has already said. So in the New Testament, what we're speaking of, prophets are primarily preachers. Primarily, the word prophet means to tell forth. And so the prophet tells you what God said in the Bible. They explain to you the Bible, and they claim to speak for God. So as a preacher, when I read God's word to you and explain it, I claim to speak for God. But I do it in a different way. Because I don't claim any new revelation. I just trust the Holy Spirit to guide me in what I preach to you. And I'm sensitive to that. I mean, I understand. I can't preach in my own power. I can't even learn the Word of God in my own power. And so I can read the Bible all day long. I can prepare sermons week after week. And unless the Holy Spirit takes that and puts the power into it, I'm wasting my time up here. But I'm not the only one who claims to speak for God. And I'm not going to tell you that this is the only place that you can hear God's Word. And this church is the only place where you're going to get it. God has churches across our country, in foreign lands, and God speaks the truth through churches. Uh, I'm sad sometimes when I think about it that many Baptist churches in foreign lands are closer to the Lord than we are. And that's because Baptists have begun to compromise the gospel. I'll get into that one a little bit in another part of the message. So we're not the only church that speaks for God. But I'm going to tell you that any other church that claims to speak for God and they have a different message from the one that we preach or what we say from this pulpit, that preacher is a false prophet and the church is a false church. God does not have multiple truths. There's only one truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so if a preacher gets up and he preaches anything other than the word, he's a false prophet. And again, I've got a lot more to say about that later, but I'm going to take a quick shortcut here for just a moment. If the Bible says the word is truth, then what do you think of a preacher who doesn't ever read from the Bible? I'm not trying to chastise anybody that's here today, but you know there are a lot of people that don't bring their Bibles to church because they figure they don't need one. If the preacher doesn't read from the Bible, why do I need to bring a Bible? And so there is an immediate tip-off, folks. Something you better watch for very carefully. If there is no Bible, then there is no truth. Well, the New Testament has a lot to say about false prophets. Jesus, of course, mentions it here. And there are still these false prophets that claim to speak for God. A few moments ago, we were reading from Deuteronomy. And uh, there it said that false prophets can do signs and wonders. And that's backed up. The same teaching backed up by the New Testament. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now in the first phrase of verse number 1, Peter's referring to the Old Testament. There were false prophets among the people. That's Old Testament. Then he says, even as there shall be false teachers among you. That's New Testament. So the problem hasn't gone away. In fact, folks, this thing is intensified a thousand times over. In the Old Testament, there weren't prophets on every street corner. When Moses spoke Deuteronomy chapter 13, uh, there, there weren't people setting up tents all throughout the camp that were false prophets. 
You, you didn't find that. He, he wouldn't have tolerated anyone speaking in the name of another God. And when there were some who came and they said, Now Moses, we are also prophets of God, and you need to share the leadership of the people with us. You know what happened? God caused the ground to open up and swallowed up all their families and closed it back on top of them. And then he said, fire down from heaven and consumed the 250 leaders of that wicked movement. Later on, Elijah contended with the prophets of Baal and slew 850 false prophets. Now with the warning that Jesus gives in the New Testament in Matthew 7, we're not talking about Muslims, folks. We're not talking about Hindus. We're not talking about a jungle tribe that had some god that you never heard of before. These are people with a big sign on the door that says Christian Church. And they're right here in Roner Park. They're in Santa Rosa. They're all over the place. And they are dangerous because they appear to be doing just what we're doing. So they make a good pretense of being Christians. Now thank the Lord for this. Those of you in, in the church here, you've been trained to spot some of this. But the people out there are untrained. And they don't know what to look for. And this is such a common problem that the New Testament is filled with warnings about it. I'll just give you a sampling of it. When Paul was at Ephesus, he gave a warning what would happen right after he left. He said in the book of Acts, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw disciples away after them. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Grievous wolves, ravenous wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. A little later in Second Peter chapter 2, from where we were reading a moment ago, Peter said, But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Jude wrote, But these speak evil of things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Now there's two common threads running through those scriptures. There's actually three, but I'm going to deal with the other one at a later time. The first thread is that these people are in Christian churches. And so that means that they're mixed right in with the people. They can be mixed right in to a Bible-believing church. And that's what we're being warned about here primarily. That's one thread. They're commonly among us. Paul said, they enter among you. Peter said, they are among you. The Apostle John, who everybody calls the Apostle of Love and we think would never harm a fly, the Apostle John said, if they come to your house and they bring any other doctrine that we preach, then you kick them out. That's the revised Smith version of Second John verse 10. So that's a good warning that Paul gives us. Second Timothy, he said, they creep into houses. And Jude said, there are certain men crept in unawares. Folks, that means that they are prevalent in the church. They are among you. The second thread is that they're successful at getting people to follow them. Paul said, they'll draw away disciples after them. Peter said, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. That means they're good at it. They're dangerous because they look good. Now, everything seems to be fine here. But like a pit bull that you raise on a bottle, someday when he, he's going to grab a hold of your arm and tear it off. So, this is dangerous. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And that's what Jesus is doing in the passage. There are people on the broad way. There are dangerous people that will entice you. 
And when we speak about the broad way and those that entice, we're not talking about abject, crusty old sinners that drink and booze it up and take drugs and distribute child pornography. These are church-going folks. I mean, we're talking about preachers with nice clothes that have a dimple in their tie. I haven't learned to do that yet, but they have a dimple in their tie. They have a diamond on their fingers. Or on their fingers. They, they appear to be harmless, but what they're doing is they're resting souls away from the unsuspecting. And there are many of them. They're everywhere. They're all around us. They're on television. They're on radio, broadcasting to thousands of countries around the world. Jesus said you have to watch out for them. You have to because they are dangerous. Now next time, we're going to go on with this and we're going to look into their deception. Later, we'll talk about their doctrine or the lack of doctrine. We'll talk about how you can spot them and then we're also going to talk about what will happen to them. But I want to close with this today. We have to keep remembering why all of this is said. There is a straight gate and there is a narrow way. And not everybody is on the right way, which means that not everybody is going to make it to heaven. There are some who will try to lead you astray because Satan is tricky and he wants to destroy your soul. And so he'll make the broad way seem like the right way. But it never is and it never will be. So some people will say to us, well, your church is so narrow. And, and we get defensive about that sometimes. But the truth is, yes, we are narrow. We are as narrow as Jesus says that we have to be. It is a straight gate. It is a difficult way. And that means that you have to trust Christ as your Savior. He must be the Lord of your life. There are no shortcuts to get to heaven. It is a path of following Jesus every step of the way. Now, if you want to know more about the right path, well, first thing I'd say, go back and listen to last week's message because we looked at that extensively, the, the narrow way and the broad way. But if you want to find out more today about this narrow path that you need to walk, then stick around for a few minutes. There'll be people after the services, they'll be happy to talk to you about how to get on that narrow path. Uh, we'll have some men in the back of the church. If you want to, you can come up here. You don't have to. You don't have to confess to me or confess to a priest or anybody else. All that you need to do is confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him and him alone to save you from those sins. That's the right way to heaven. And so I encourage you to do that today. Trust him today. Don't be deceived by all the things that you hear out there. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you've given us to spend together. And Lord, we're just getting a, a start into this. There's so much here that we need to go over. And I pray that you'd help us in these next few weeks to examine this very carefully, that we might know who's telling the truth and who is telling the lie. And there's so many people out there that are telling lies. I just pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and which is the right way to go. Bless us in this time, Lord. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.